0: And welcome into Poke the Bear, episode 208, presented by CLNS Media and sponsored by our good friends over at Prize Picks and Factor Meals. My name is Connor Ryan, and today we are once again joined by 98.5 The Sports Hubs, Ty Anderson. Ty, what's going on? What's up, man? How are we doing today? I'm doing swell, Ty. I'm doing swell. I think uh, Bruins fans have hopefully mellowed out a little bit. Seems like it's usually not the case, but... The Bruins at long last did not go to overtime, did not lose a the game. They did they did blow a lead again. That, that is true. We can't we cannot deny that. But uh the fact that the Bruins finally got over the hump, beat the Vegas Golden Knights 5-4 on Thursday night at the Garden, seems like a step in the right direction. It wasn't perfect, but I think if you're the Bruins, the way that you've had so much tough sledding as of late, you'll take a win like that, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that.
1: When you're slumping you don't care how you get it as long as you get it if you get the win you get the win and then you try to build off that and, and stack up your wins and and focus on you know fine tooling them or, or fine tuning them and and, and really kind of you know getting a really great win but you just want to get off the schneid and and you want to feel good about your game and, and i think the bruins feel good they don't feel great but they feel good uh beating a team like vegas um, when it really looked like it was going to slip away from you, uh, that I mean, you'll take that every day of the week. And yeah, sure, Vegas, no Mark Stone, uh, no Jack Eichel. As we know, Aiden Hill didn't have his best night, uh, but you won the game. And at the end of the day, that's what's most important, to pull yourself out of the slump. You can't break out of it without a win. And so now they got one, and now it's about rolling it, you know, rolling it into something bigger here.
0: Yeah, no, and I think especially look at the way that game was going on. I think we both said it, you know, watching from – the ninth level there was about three or four times where we saw a sequence play out we're like all right we've seen this script before we know how this is gonna freaking end and i think especially when you got Grizzly sent to the uh the penalty box there with what two minutes and 59 seconds left you know they're gonna pull the goalie we all knew it was coming right we all felt like that was all but inevitable especially when you look at the way this team was played but uh give credit to them like they had guys step up you had a, a clutch block late i think from zaka you had a few plays where I think Coil was really strong on those those last minutes, got some timely saves, which you desperately need from Jeremy Swayman. It just seems like, again, it's a game in, you know, February 29th. It's the dog days. We all know that. But in terms of building your game, right, that's the biggest thing. We've mentioned these continued third period uh, leads getting uh, decimated here and how if you don't fix them now, they're going to creep up again in April. For you to at least have have a sequence like this where you're able to Kill plays, negate how many pucks get to Jeremy Swayman, come away with two points. Yes, it's in the middle of the season right now, but at least it's building towards something greater that when you inevitably face that in the playoffs, there's going to be a whole bunch of sequences like that where people are going to be sick to their stomach, throwing up in the stands as you got an empty net. It's good to at least get the results in a situation like that where guys stepped up. 100%, and, and I think you look at this team, I
1: mean, this is kind of the games that they know they have to win, the style that they have to win. They've talked about this from the from the beginning of the year. Like, they know they're going to have a lot more close finishes, a lot more games that are decided by one goal. you got to grind it out late, and, and that's what you saw. And, you know, for me, the biggest thing last night was that you look at sort of what, what's gone on in Vancouver, what went on in Seattle, um, you know, losing key Situational D zone draws, and the Bruins can still improve in that regard defensively uh, with their faceoff metrics and what have you. But ultimately, you know, you look at Charlie Coyle and Pavel Zaka as your your bedrocks down the middle, and what do they do last night? They went a combined eleven for fourteen in the defensive zone at at faceoffs. I mean, that is what you need. You need that from this group, uh, and you got it last night. So, so I think that's kind of you know. That's something to build off of for those guys, you know, like Jim Montgomery, because of the lines and injuries and the cap, he's constantly readjusting what he's doing. If he can rely on Charlie Coyle and Pavel Zaka to win some key defensive zone faceoffs, that's going to take a lot of the pressure off the other members of this team, the other members that they have at center. You know, Morgan Geeky didn't have a great night defensively at, at the dot um and Jesper Boqvist never been really a great faceoff guy but if you can rely on those guys to win some key draws that changes everything that changes how you feel about those situations and you know was it perfect no but you got the plays you needed late and uh, really on the back of some of your best players i thought so um or players that you need to be your best players so uh a win is a win just win baby that's how you have to look at last night's game i think
0: yeah, and I think especially you look at it, as you said, wasn't perfect, especially when you look at further down the lineup with, with winning faceoffs, you still get, of course, hat-trick for Morgan Geeky, his first career one, and I think we've we've talked quite a bit about him and, and his impact and how much of a great bargain signing that has been. A, a guy that, what, put up nearly 30 points last year in Seattle with averaging, what, like 10 minutes of ice time? I don't know what the hell is going on there, but he's obviously realized, I think, his potential with, even getting 14, 15 minutes a night. And then I think you look at the fourth line too. I think it was probably one of their better games as a whole. Again, a few D zone face-offs that they lost there, but uh, Bruins held a 17 to two edge in shot attempts when they were on the ice, which I had to do a quadruple take. I think when I saw that on natural stat trick, but um, it's an interesting kind of grouping right now, right? Where you've got Lauco back in the lineup. I think he had a really good game. Montgomery said on Friday, that was probably his best all around game focus has been very productive brazo you kind of know what to expect from him as a, a big body but you kind of raised an interesting question to montgomery on friday uh during their practice before they went out to uh long island about just the identity of that fourth line it does seem like the way he phrased it it's not like years past where you know it's the the merlot line or this like super physical line and it has to kind of be with whatever your roster is. it seems like montgomery's taking a pretty malleable approach to What they're really looking for out of that fourth line yeah absolutely and and
1: you kind of look at this team the moving parts they've had on their fourth line the you know the constant juggling and what have you you know and i think it's hurt them at times i think it's hurt them not having a a fourth line identity that you can okay you know they're going to do this well and you know boquist the i'm sorry boquist lauco and brazo might be the closest thing they have to replicating you know, the start of the year where you want two speed guys and a big body, you know, one of that big, the big body they had on night one is not going to be back. We all know that. So, and the salary cap is currently keeping, you know, Johnny Beach down in the minors. So this is the best they can do. This is a, this is a, you know, not, I don't mean this in a derogatory way, but this is a dollar store version of what you had as your ideal fourth line on opening night. And, And there's nothing wrong with that as long as they're productive. And I think you're beginning to see that, this is a line that maybe you can't lean on as strong defensively, um, but they can make some noise with their speed, um, with how they attack pucks and attack defensemen. Uh, It's a different kind of anxiety. It's not the kind that, that makes you shake in your boots because of how physical they are. But if you have half a second less to, to react, that's an eternity in in the NHL, or I'm sorry, that's, that's, you know, that's not an eternity. Like you, that, that can lead to some chaos. So, as long as they're skating and moving well, you know, you like what they can do there. So they got to keep bringing it. You know, I think that's the biggest thing is that Loco, Jim Montgomery's talked about that. Loco needs to bring it every night. brazo has got to do it to establish himself as an NHL or full time. And Boquist is, you know, trying to prove he's not a tweener. So these, these guys, all three of them, something to prove. So they should bring it every night. And it's on them to bring it every night, I think, at this point.
0: Yeah, and I think Montgomery mentioned anxiety is the the big, maybe that's the unifying, uh, you know, word for that fourth line, where, again, if you have more physicality there, you're adding, looking for more speed on the floor, check. like anxiety is, I think they're trying to get there, and it's almost like if they can be almost, I look at, like, Carolina and how they've been. Obviously, they're, they've up and down have been very fast, but their fourth line, I don't think, has ever been, like, a bruising group, but they're so fast that they can cause chaos, and you've got guys, like, you know, fast and uh, Martin hook and all these kind of bottom six guys that can move quick and kind of create chaos out of nowhere can jam home pucks. Like, I feel like that's kind of the approach they're going for there. So definitely something worth keeping tabs on as to how the Bruins fill out that spot, whether, you know, it's going to be that same three guys where it's going to change moving forward. But um another guy who obviously stood up uh, or stood out rather on, on Thursday was Mason Lorai. Uh, his latest call up. I think this is his, third, third call up. I think this year. Yes, Yeah. Third run. Yeah. Gets the power play goal. Obviously Uh, a, a vintage play from a guy that, you know, as advertised as a playmaking defenseman, there's still, as, as expected been some growing pains, of course, on the D zone, but Montgomery seems pleased with how he's overall played in this latest call up. I think he's, you know, five games, four points, Um, played a lot with Carlo, which has been pretty encouraging as of late. I think they've outscored teams four to two in their five games together, almost 50 minutes of five on five ice time. So I think when you look at just what Lorai provides, and this is maybe even looking ahead of the traded line, do you think Lorai and by extension, a guy like Matt Potter, who's obviously not playing this year, but it's still a good trade ship. Would you view them as untouchable assets at this point? Or do you think it all just depends on who's out there and who could end up being in a uh, black and gold sweater?
1: Yeah. I think it all depends what the return is. Um, I I'm reluctant to move a guy like Mason Lowry because he's six foot four and he can make puck plays. Um, those guys, you know, if he, if he were playing on Philadelphia or Anaheim, you'd be saying, oh, can the Bruins get a guy like that? You know? And, and so to have his skill set at his size is impressive. Um, I think the only situation in which I'm, Legitimately entertaining it is probably that if you're telling me that if he's the pathway to bringing in a Noah Hannafin and then extending Noah Hannafin it's a bit more interesting, right? Because then you're talking about a guy who's who's established, you know. Like if you're hoping that Mason Lowry can become Noah Hannafin that's great. Well, what if I can get Noah Hannafin now? You know, what if I what if I don't have to go through the growing pains? I can just get him right now. It kind of makes a bit more sense that way, but. At the end of the day, I think the Bruins pipeline of bigger defensemen, they're bigger, yes, but they don't really have the natural offensive instincts that I think Lowry does. Lowry needs to work on his skating. He needs to work on his decision-making in the D zone, uh, but those that will improve. Um, so for me, it would have to be a trade that brings in a guy who projects the same way, but is already there, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's even something now where I think we'll we'll talk about this after our first break, but, like, you look at the deadline, and even if, like, you kept on uh, a guy like Lorai beyond the deadline, there's a lot of appeal as to, like, keeping Lorai for the playoff run, having him kind of cut his teeth at that point. And you roll with the punches, right? Like, and I feel like every time we've talked about, it, like, I feel like all season long, for me at least, I've really hammered home the fact that, like, Lorai's going to go through these growing pains. It's not perfect, but, like, that's not to say that he's been, like, a complete net negative. Like we knew there were going to be these growing pains for a guy that's, you know, I think really accelerated his timeline switch from forward to defense when he was what, 16, 17 years old. Like we knew this was going to happen. And I think he's made strides from where he was even back in November, when he was first called up here that like, if you keep him in place and even if it's maybe you're putting him with Carlo and all of a sudden you put McAvoy and Lindholm together or what have you, like if this is really going to be a bridge year, why not have a guy like Lori up there? You roll with the punches. There's going to be probably one or two of those D zone lapses where you're like, uh. But then all of a sudden, he leads to, a, again, a power play goal on the other end of the ice. At this stage where you're already in this kind of weird season where, again, you're competitive, but you look at the cap and everything else. If this was a year where you're letting guys like Lori and, you know, Potra before he gets hurt marinate and develop, is that really the worst thing in the world? Because I think there's a lot to be gained from having him in those kind of minutes in the playoffs.
1: Yeah. And you know, I, I think what's frustrating as someone who talks about sports, um, is I've basically said like, Hey, Lorai is going to be good. He's not great yet though. And then that becomes, Oh, you hate him. No, I think he's yeah. going to be really good. It's just, he has limitations. Uh, but what I will say though, is that he's looked better each, each call up. I thought he looked better on the second than the first. And I think he looks better on the third than the second. So that's what you want to see. And that's going to change the conversation. I think he's the true wild card here for this team down the stretch. Like if Derek Forbert doesn't get his game together and Matt Grizzlick struggles, doesn't get his game together and Hampus Lindholm is out, you know, week to week and they're not sure what the timeline is there. Like that's opportunity. And if he runs with it, he runs with it. You don't sit that guy. He's earned the opportunity at that point. So I think that's the biggest thing that I've, kind of had to repeatedly make note of is like listen just because he's not ready doesn't mean I don't think he's good. But what I will say is that the third time around he's been a lot better. He's been much, much, much better, I think. And and he's close. I think he's really close to nabbing down a full-time spot. And so I want to see some more games. Uh I, I want to see how he looks against Toronto. Um how he looks against Man. Florida if he gets in for one of those games as well. Like he's got a few more tests, but I think Ultimately, I think he's really close uh, towards being a guy that you look at and say, he's one of your best three left shot defensive options right now."
0: Yeah, no, definitely a, a lot to like about uh, Lori and his game leading up to the trade deadline. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the deadline, uh, but first high, let's take a quick break here from our new sponsor in Prize picks. Football season may be over, but the action on the floor is just heating up. Whether it's tournament season or the fight for playoff home court, there's no shortage of high-stakes basketball moments this time of year. Get in on the excitement with PrizeFix, America's number one fantasy sports app, where you can turn your hoops knowledge into serious cash. Want to play alongside some of PrizeFix's favorite players like Meek Mill and Sugar Sean O'Malley? You can now find community players under the Promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the PrizeFix community each week. Conference tournaments are here, which means the biggest moments in college basketball are getting closer. Be a part of the action on Prize Picks for both men's and women's college basketball. Picks even offers injury insurance so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players get injured. For basketball games, if you have a player who exits the game in the first half and does not return in the second, that player projection won't count against you and the rest of your entry stays live. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stat types are what make PrizePix the number one daily fantasy sports app. And with the Celtic season in full swing, there's plenty of opportunity to participate in PrizePix. This week on PrizePix, I'm selecting Jason Tatum for more than 30 points and Kristaps Porzingis for more than two blocks. So download the PrizePix app today and use code CLNS for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, use code CLNS for a first deposit match of up to $100. Prize picks. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. And now let's get back to the show. Once again, shout out to our good friends over at Prize Picks. All right, Ty, we've talked about this countless weeks now. By the time I think we record our next podcast, the trade deadline might be over. We'll see what the Bruins end up doing, but I think it's time to make our predictions. And this isn't going to be a sweeping in depth one i think just overall there's a couple of different paths the bruins can take here stand pat swing for the fences marginal upgrades what have you what do you see the bruins doing uh when we uh get to next uh next friday i think we're talking about a marginal upgrade uh mainly m-
1: maybe at the fourth line position uh those guys tend to not cost a lot there's quite a few of them out there right now as well um we've talked about Liam O'Brien. There's also Brennan Duheim in Minnesota. There's Sam Carrick also in Anaheim. Um, you know, there's Nick Dowd in Washington. You kind of look around. There's a lot of those kind of guys out there. And I think that's kind of maybe where they're leaning. Uh, obviously if Boquist, loco and Brazo still look good um, that may change things, but I, I think we're talking about a smaller move, a smaller move for either the third line or the fourth line. And you kind of roll with what you have. Um, I think they'd like to shoot bigger, but I don't think they have the assets to do it. And so that's where I think they go with it. Um, You know, part of me is tempted to say they get a third line scorer, maybe someone just a bit more consistent. But again, I I don't know how you pull that off asset wise, just based on everything they've jettisoned the last three years. I mean, you kind of have to stop the bleeding at a certain point. So I'm, I'm predicting a small you know, series of moves or maybe a small combo move. You bring in a seventh D and a, in a 12 forward, you know what I mean?
0: Something like that. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm kind of on the same wavelength. And again, it's, it's tempting to look at the guys out there, right? The Hannah Fins, the, I don't know, the Henrieks guys that could really kind of change a, a key spot in the lineup. But I just look at those way, the Bruins have operated for years now, sooner or later, that bill is going to have to be, you know, come due. And I think if there's ever a year to not be, Super aggressive, or to continue to kind of draw from the same well—that's already pretty barren. It's this year, like again, you can frame like this season, regardless of kind of what happens. Again, if they are up three-one in a first-round series and blow it, that—that's kind of a failure, right? But like, I think you look at just the fact this team has been competitive all season long. They're going to be in the mix. You've seen younger players make strides and take steps forward, like Laura and Patro. That like. Regardless of everything, what happens this postseason, again, I think they'd like to win a series or two. Um, but if you tell me you go into next year with a whole bunch of cap space, you didn't give up your 2025 first round pick, you actually have an abundance of draft capital next season. Uh, and you've got Lori, who's played 50 plus games, you've got Potter, who's 20 and you know ingratiated himself to the NHL ranks you're in a pretty good spot for next year. And again, who knows what happens in the off season. Maybe you are able to find a guy like Noah Hannafin again. I think that's all going to depend on like where Hannafin goes. If You tell me that he gets traded somewhere and he's still keeping his options open. If you're the Bruins, you'll take that. But if it's all of a sudden he gets traded to Tampa or Florida, then you're like, shit. All right. Well, that, that's not, that's not all that great. But I, I think when you just look at the fact that you've got a, a clean slate and a lot of room to really aggressively retool in you know July and August, Rather them do that, then really relinquish you know more draft capital, more prospects, stuff like that. Um, you know, within the next week or so, I just don't see it that being the feasible option after years of going against the grain with that.
1: Yeah, and the other part of that too, man, is that like, all right, let's say they still view center as a long term need, and personally, I think they do. Um, yeah. what if you can't get Elias Lindholm or? You know, if, uh, uh, you know, Pedersen hits the block, I I don't think you would have the assets to do it to make that happen. But like, ultimately, if a guy hits the market, you want to be able to get in on that. And and if you can't do with dollars, you got to do with future assets. And so do you want to trade that now? Or do you want to hold out hope that, you know, let's say in San Jose, they decide that Tomas Hertl's got to go. Like there's, they're going scorched earth and they got to get rid of everybody. Um, So he's out there. You never know who's going to become available. Right. And so I I think the Bruins have to look at this big picture wise and say, okay, we're probably not built to win a Stanley cup. If we right now, if we do, that's amazing, but it's going to take some bounces and some, some good fortune like it does for anybody for that matter. But I think you have to be realistic about that and say that you can't afford to keep doing this every year. And maybe especially when your team is flawed. I mean, let's be honest. This team is good. I don't know if they're great. And and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with being good, not great, especially when you lose the guys they lost in the offseason. But you have to look at it, you know, from a more more sort of even standpoint of, like, you can't keep mortgaging the future. You got to pay the bill at some point. Don't let the interest accrue. Just pay it off now.
0: Yeah, and I think you make a good point, right, in terms of being selective with who you want to invest in, right? Like, again, it's really tempting to see Hannafin out there and, you know, BC guy, Norwood native, a lot of appeal of putting him in your top four and having him there uh, for the, the long haul. I'd rather you run the risk of seeing where he is in July and handling it then than giving up that draft capital, right? I'd rather you wait for, as you said, the white whale of a true game-changing, you know, centerman in a couple of years, right? Like, is Elias Lindholm that guy? Like, he's good, but is he, like, a game-changing guy? You said, like, I don't think the Bruins right now would be involved in Patterson sweepstakes, but what happens in another year or two when the next Patterson, that next 25-, 26-year-old guy with a 90-point season on his resume is out there for grabs, right? Like, what if Hurdle's out there? What if Clayton Keller or someone else gets dangled out in the market? If you all of a sudden you have your 2025 first and you've drafted someone who looks like he's, you know, tearing up the OHL or what have you, and you have more of these guys marinating down there, you're in a much better position to to box out some of these other teams as opposed to like, all right, we spent all this capital on Hannafin who we could have just signed a few months down the road. Like now you're in a point where you already have a really good foundation in place with this team right now. You've got a lot of really key guys signed. You're actually seeing some younger players step up and carve out roles wait for that white whale to show up instead of like going for the 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 swordfish or anything else that's right out there it's just not you have to be selective when you've got this platform to really augment your team in the next couple of years
1: yeah and we talked about this a little bit last night at the game you know something that would intrigue me if I'm the Bruins is maybe trying to replicate the Zaka trade with somebody else you know you look at Buffalo Casey Middlestat he's kind of They don't know what his future is there. You look at Philadelphia, Morgan Frost, his usage has been kind of bizarre, you know, really for a little bit now. Um, Could you maybe get one of those guys and and take a flyer basically and say, Hey, can this guy be part of the solution? Can he be part of the answer? Is it my go-to move? No, but I think in their position right now, that may be the play while you're waiting for that next big fish, trying to replicate, that kind of move where you really kind of sneak up on a team that, you know, is maybe not happy with a guy because he's never quite lived up to the draft hype or the prospect hype, but he's a good player and you know, he's a good player and you try to make him great. I, I wonder if there's a move like that to be made, you know, in the meantime, while you wait, Um, you know, there are other moves out there too. Like, like what do you really want to be, you know, game one of the playoffs? What do you want to be? Do you want to be a team that, tries to outscore the opposition, you know, with an offense, or do you want to try to win two to one, three to two, because you know, that's your kind of team. Um, and if you feel like you're the latter, well then maybe you acquire a guy who can win some face-offs or you acquire a winger that has a strong two-way game. Uh, a name like that, that's familiar to Bruins fans is Riley Smith, Riley Smith in Pittsburgh. You know, he was a great two-way player for Vegas. He's, he can play the left and the right side. Um, if you put him with Martian and Coyle, okay, that's not a bad shutdown line in my opinion. So it it really kind of all depends. What do they view as a, their identity in the playoffs and B, you know, how good they are. Right. And so I think that shapes a lot of things, but, but uh, there's a lot of unknown right now. It feels like with this team.
0: Yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. We're, we're prescribing patience, which of course means that who the hell knows what's actually going to happen next Friday. So, don't blame us when they do trade Lowry and uh, a first for Hannafin or what have you. Don't blame us. We we had the rational, measured approach here, which tends to go to shit. So again, uh, we digress. But well, before- what what I yes. what I yeah. would
1: say real quick. Sorry, is that yeah. If and when Don Sweeney makes a move, doesn't it feel like it's going to be out of left field? You yes. go back, you go back, right? Like last year, they were getting
0: Gavrikov, Gavrikov, Gavrikov.
1: Then they didn't. They made it, they made it, they made a d-
0: Yarmo lost his mind and then he got fired. Yeah. And they,
1: but it felt like all the leaks were coming out of Columbus, didn't it? Because then yeah. it, Don Sweeney spun around and traded for Orlov and Hathaway. The Bertuzzi move also made in silence. Now it helps when yeah. you have two guys who don't like to talk between Irishman and Sweeney, you know, two guys who prefer to move in silence making that trade, but really it feels like a lot of Bruins moves, especially in the last few years, really kind of come out of thin air. Right. And so you're hearing all these names and all these guys that could be in on and I'm spitballing guys I like guys I'd like to see come to Boston. It it really feels like Don Sweeney is just going to surprise everybody because that's what he does pretty, you know, consistently
0: now when it comes to his trade deadline ads, I would say. Yeah, no patience prescribed, but keep your hair on a swivel because who knows what the hell is going to happen next week. So, uh, Ty, before we wrap up this podcast, let's take another quick break here from our other sponsors over at.
1: Got your happy price,
0: Priceline. Once again, shout out to our good friends over at Factor Meals. All right, Ty, let's wrap up this podcast by looking at, we've mentioned the deadline and guys that they could be targeting. In terms of assets, they actually have. We've mentioned, you know, Olmark before, and I don't think we view that as probably a viable option or some of the the Bruins really want to do. But looking specifically at Jake DeBrusque, right? Because I feel like we are both like most people, I think on the same wavelength of early this year. uh, It's a matter of if not when they sign him. Had a great year last year. He's part of the foundation moving forward. Now, when you look at the fact that, you know, DeBrus mentioned earlier this week, hasn't, you know, made any progress on contract talks. What exactly is going to happen there? Because honestly, I have no clue as to how the Bruins are going to approach it and what the best path is moving forward. Because if they're not going to sign him, he's probably a – uh, one of your best trade assets. But again, if you're also moving on from a guy that can help you right now, it's kind of a weird spot to be in. I think for all potties.
1: Yeah. I, I would say that similar to Tory Krug, uh, this is a guy that I, I look at and say, you can't lose for nothing. Um, I think you have to commit to him either by March 9th or make a trade. Um, I I really don't think this team is built to lose him for nothing. When you look at the assets, I mean, even if even if you got a conditional first, you know, it was a second that becomes a first. If the team you trade him to goes on a deep run like you need assets. Right. And so the thing I worry about is a sunk cost fallacy. Right. Like you've committed so much time to him and he's the only one of those three first round picks from that year that's worked out. And for that reason, do you say, well, no, 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 no. We can't trade him. Well, what if he leaves? Then you lost him, anyways, you know, and and so they need to, I think, come to some sort of understanding between now and next Friday um, just to feel good about where you're going. I I think that the idea of him being your own rental, I hate that. I hate that logic. It doesn't make any damn sense to me. He's already on your team. That doesn't make any sense at all. Um, So you got to make a call and it might be unpopular, but if you are a good, not great team. And you have doubts about this guy being here beyond July one at the price that you want him to be at. You got to see what's out there, you know, like, and I've said this before, but like if the team that loses out on the, the, let's say the proverbial Jake Gensel sweepstakes, uh, they're looking for the next best option. Dabrowski is pretty high on that list. I would say a guy who can play well with star players and, and, and capitalize on that. Uh, he's not a bad player despite what people may think. And, And so, I look at it from that standpoint and, and I say, okay, like bring in, you know, like bring in something. If he's not part of it, bring in something that can help you down the line. And so, um, it pains me to say, I think ultimately you do want to keep him. I don't know if you're going to get a, 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 as, as, uh, I'm trying to find the right word because consistent's not it. You know, but as sure fire. Right. You know, right. A guy you know. who plays on the PK who plays on the power play can play the left hand and the right side is basically a lock for about 18 to 25 goals. You know, can get you 45 points like those guys are going to cost 6 million a year, two years yeah. from now. So do you want to you want to get ahead of it now or, or, or what have you? So. It, it, it's tough to, to put a finger on it, but but I think you got to do something. If he's not going if, to, if it's no extension by by the trade deadline, I think you have to trade him personally.
0: Yeah. And it's something too where it's so, I, I feel like you're not going to get the full picture. Or we're not going to have a, a full verdict on this whole saga until he puts pen to paper on whatever deal it is, whether it's the Bruins sign him to an extension or he goes to market and all of a sudden some team hands him a deal for, Six and a half a year, which if that's the case and you're like, all right, well, the, again, the Bruins have a bunch of cap space. But if they want to, you know, deal with however they want to do with the goalie situation, if they want to sign Hannafin, they want to sign someone else like that. You can't probably be handing out six and a half million to a guy that, uh, again, is a good player and play 16, 17 minutes a night can do a little bit of everything. But you need just more of that impactful ozone play, I think, for him to, to warrant that kind of money. And it, it's so... You know, I don't know if frustrating is the right word, but like it does feel like I think I mentioned this yesterday talking to you, like if the Bruins put pen to paper on a deal with DeBrusque between now and Friday to some whatever it is, five and a half million for five years, would it surprise you if DeBrusque goes off on like five goals and seven games after that? Like, I think clearly the, the thing that you, you take from his media availability earlier this week, it's like it's clearly weighing on him, doesn't know what's going on, where he's going, uh, and athletes like that peace of mind. They don't want to be dwelling on these kind of things and are already trying to find their game and, and live up to, you know, what their own individual goals and team-wide goals especially. So it's just so tough to map out the best path moving forward. I think it all comes down to what that final final price tag is going to be.
1: Yeah, I mean, five and a half, 5.75, i do it. 6 yeah. million, it gets a little bit dicey, I think. And, and you know, I, I've always wondered, you know, does he, could he want a three or four year deal that allows him to rebuild his value? Or is it like, nah, man, I'm not hitting the open market at 31. I want my payday now. And, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's really interesting. And the other part of it too, is that, um, as you just alluded to, like he clearly deals with some sort of anxiety, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, it's human. We all deal with it to a certain degree, but you look at the way that COVID, uh, impacted him you look at the way that he's made passing mention in the, in the past about uh, how people view him or or how he felt about Boston. He clearly struggles when he doesn't have solid footing beneath him. And you might be listening to this or watching this and saying, well, that's part of his own fault for not being successful and not, not producing. Sometimes they go hand in hand though. You know, like if you're not feeling good, it's hard to, to, to get that bounce. Right. And so I think that's the hardest thing to to really nail down with him right now. But clearly I I think it is weighing on him. The fact that he's talking about it openly saying, yeah, I'm worried. It's like, all right, that is as brutally honest as he's, as he will be this year. And so he wants an extension. I don't know how the Bruins feel about it. I really don't. Don Sweeney made a very sort of, uh, I don't know, non-committal answer talking about his future. He says he likes him, but you know, they got to see everything and they're going to keep that internal. If there's no deal by the deadline, I feel like he's a goner. And that would be, in my opinion, again, organizational mis- you know, male practice in terms of uh, establishing value and getting value while you still can.
0: Yeah. So again, I think by the time we record our, our next podcast next week, Sprung team could look very different, or maybe not at all. We'll see. Again, yeah. you can never really tell when uh you can never really tell when you get to this point of the year. So uh, Ty Re- before we uh, real- Real quick on that. Sorry. Uh, Don Sweeney did
1: speak. uh, We were at the game, so we didn't hear this. Uh, Don Sweeney did speak with Nessun either before or during an intermission. I can't remember. Uh, He did note the the physical, the the physicality. He noted the fact that they, that they would like to get a bit more physical. That's why I'm thinking uh, fourth line or D uh, with some of those guys that are out there right now. uh, I I think that's where they're going to end up leaning, um, you know, just getting bigger 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 bigger. I think that's I think that's what's going to happen between now and and then but we'll see. You know, how do they get that? How do they bring that guy in? Who is that guy? Uh a player I like but I don't think they'll end up acquiring is Nick Sealer in Philadelphia, uh puck abs- magnet. Absolute puck magnet and uh really fits their bill in terms of a guy who uh clears up the front of the net, a guy who will who will jam away at the front of the net. Uh, defensively, and so that's a guy I'd love, but that price is probably going to be Tanev-esque, and I don't know if the Bruins want to do that.
0: Yeah, time time will tell when it comes to just how how the Bruins approach this deadline, what it's going to look like, uh, and for people who I think want to read, listen to all the great stuff you have, Ty, especially oh. when it gets to the deadline. Oh my goodness! <laughs> oh my god! The deadline pick up already? Yes. Yeah, there she is. Hello. Yeah, that's Doom. <laughs> I do. New deadline pickup right before we even get a week out. Yeah. But uh Ty, if we want to read any of your stuff, <laughs> where would you or Doom have to say? Where can all we find right, all your stuff here. Uh you can How find me. Find me she, she's trying to get out of the way now. She's doing whatever <laughs> she, really she
1: can. <laughs> uh you can get me at 95 uh, 985 sportsupcom You can also follow me on uh, Twitter slash X at at underscore Ty Anderson. Uh you can follow Doom if you follow me on Instagram. <laughs> oh my God, get out of here. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh so yeah, you can uh, that's where you can find me. How about yourself?
0: Yes, you can find me over at boston.com uh as well as on Twitter, X, whatever the hell it's called, <laughs> at Connor Ryan underscore 93. So uh, this is episode two hundred and eight of poke the bear. I'm Connor Ryan. That's Ty Anison and Doom, wherever she is. You guys have a great rest of your week.